All right. Welcome to our fourth and final part of our first cybersecurity mini-series. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, how's it going? If you are listening to this, you have made it to the last episode of a four-part cybersecurity mini-series that we have been doing with Rockwell Automation. Today's episode is all about industrial control system cybersecurity and industry standards, specifically IEC 62443. Now, if you're just tuning in for the first time, I'd recommend going back to check out the other three episodes in this mini-series leading up to this one, because quite frankly, we've talked a little bit about IEC 62443 going up to this episode, but we haven't really gone into detail. Today, we're going to be talking about why it's so important that it's a certification and not just something that you know you can say you're in compliance with when it comes to security of industrial controllers. So what are three things you can expect from today's episode? Well, first, we're going to go over a definition around critical infrastructure and why industrial control system or ICS cybersecurity is its own niche within that. We'll be revisiting this topic throughout the episode and sharing some stories and examples that illustrate what critical infrastructure is. Second, we're going to talk about IEC 62443, what it is, why it's important that it's a third-party certification, multiple aspects of 62443 that you can certify to, and why a new standard like this was needed rather than a repurposed IT standard. Third, we're going to have some call to actions for you, and we'll discuss the how behind IEC 62443 and why it is so important. As I mentioned, this is a mini-series that we've been doing in conjunction with Rockwell Automation, and if you want to access all of the episodes or any of the resources mentioned throughout this series, make sure to go to manufacturinghappyhour.com cybersecurity. As with any of these highly technical episodes, I just want to warn you on the front end, if you're not in, say, the IT space or if you're not necessarily into cybersecurity, I might recommend skipping this one. But chances are you know someone that would be very interested in this. If you know an IT director or a CISO, I would recommend forwarding this to them, whether it's someone at your company or just someone in your network. If you are enjoying the show, the other call to action I'd have to you on the front end is head over to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes to leave a rating and review at Apple Podcasts really helps us get the show on the map. Those five-star ratings are really important, but those reviews are even more critical. That's where we hear from you, what you're enjoying about the show, and what you'd like to hear more of from Manufacturing Happy Hour. So if you've got the time, whether it's on your iPhone or your desktop, head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes to leave a rating and review at Apple Podcasts. All right, that is plenty for today's introduction. I want to get you introduced to two more security rock stars from Rockwell Automation. So let's go meet up with Megan and Shoshana for this final conversation around cybersecurity.
right, manufacturing leaders, welcome to another edition of our cybersecurity mini-series here on Manufacturing Happy Hour. Today, we are joined by Megan Samford, the Product Safety and Security Director at Rockwell Automation, as well as Shoshana Wojis, the Global Product Security Leader at Rockwell as well. And since we have a unique opportunity to have two guests on the show today, Megan and Shoshana, I wanted to start off with a little bit of a personal question around cybersecurity. Megan, I mean, you, it looks like you've had an illustrious career in cybersecurity across multiple organizations here at Rockwell now and starting your career as the Critical Infrastructure Protection Coordinator for the Governor's Office in Virginia. Shoshana, you've been with Rockwell a long time and now you're in the cybersecurity space. I'd love to hear why is it so exciting to be in cybersecurity right now and what do you find most fulfilling? Megan, let's start with you. Sure. So we'll we'll start with the topic of critical infrastructure protection. Protection. If you look at critical infrastructure protection as a whole, within that, cybersecurity is a niche area. Okay, that's a very unique subset that's kind of at the forefront that everyone's really paying attention to right now. And if you double click even within cybersecurity, industrial control system cybersecurity is even more niche. So it's kind of like if you want it to be working on the most cutting edge aspect in security today, then you're an industrial control system cybersecurity person. I love it. Being on the niche, the cutting edge. Shoshana, what about yourself? Yeah, I mean, that resonates with me as well. You know, I can't think of a better way to kind of um, channel my passion and my experience um, than by working in the cybersecurity area, especially in critical infrastructure. I mean, this has the ability to change our economy and our health um, and our national security, right? So so that gives me passion. And the other way it gives me passion is that um, it gives me an opportunity as a software engineer to kind of up my game because this is changing all the time. And so I, I, uh, I, I there's always new things to dig into. Well, I love I love the dynamic aspect about it you bring up and the far-reaching impact to society, not just manufacturing as a whole, um, is a big piece that's been a, a nice theme of this mini-series so far. But we, we need to, let's start with a quick definition because, Megan, you brought up the term critical infrastructure. I guess technically I brought, I brought it up technically, but nevertheless, that's a term that everyone might not be familiar with right off the bat. So today we're talking about ICS, product security and standards, and let's get some background here. So we hear a lot about cybersecurity in terms of like credit cards and ransomware and things along those lines. Now we're hearing words like critical infrastructure in the same sentence as cybersecurity. Let's pretend in the spirit of manufacturing happy hour that the three of us are hanging out at a bar like Gasoline Alley in Cleveland. And someone comes up to us and says, hey, describe to me what critical infrastructure is and how would you answer that in the context of having a conversation with someone at a bar? Sure, so in in my mind, and I agree with you because I think that critical infrastructure has become kind of an inflated term to describe anything and everything, um, assets as well as people that we all depend on in our day-to-day lives. But there, do, there are actually definitions that exist within various spaces on what classifies something as a critical infrastructure versus something that's not a critical infrastructure. And the way that I would back into it is from a consequence and impact perspective, meaning if you lost this power plant or if the power plant 
went offline for whatever reason, how many people are impacted by the downstream result of that asset going offline? In other words, from a supply chain perspective, um, how critical is that one node? How many people are being supplied? And you can look at it in power environments. And especially today, you could look at it from the pharmaceutical industry, meaning if this is a pharmaceutical company that produces a particular medication or a component that's used within a medication, then maybe their status as a critical infrastructure has just been vastly elevated compared to maybe where they're at in, in steady state times. I love the way you describe the consequence and impact perspective, because I think putting in it, it in the perspective of how many people are impacted by something like this is a great way to think about it. I guess since this is a cybersecurity miniseries, my natural next question to that would be, how do companies in critical infrastructure ensure their systems are secure? I would say that one of the ways that they can do that is by looking at um, industry standards. IEC 62443 is a relatively newly published standard um, that it, you know, the elevator speech that I always give is that it's the only global standard, uh, consensus-based standard that is specific to cybersecurity and specific to industrial automation. And so it's, it's right in the wheelhouse of the fundamental things to um, critical infrastructure. And, and, it, and it, covers, um, it covers from an asset owner to a system integrator all the way to a component supplier um, like Rockwell Automation. And, and it's really using, it's really a methodical approach. It's looking at risk, which is what cybersecurity is all about. And it's the whole point is to improve safety, reliability, integrity, and security. And and um, uh, you know we always talk about how um, to have a, a safe plant or a safe control system. You have to have it has to be secure. And so this standard, um, the standard is is uh, again some new areas have been newly published, and Rockwell Automation has been working to get certified to different areas um, and working with a lot of our customers on it. Well, I love that you brought up IEC 62443 because admittedly, that was something I was not familiar with before diving into this interview. I've just been learning about it today leading up to this, and I'm, I'm going to keep learning about it as, as we go through this conversation. Shoshana, this is probably a question best directed to you since you really oversee like the governance and the risk and the compliance as it relates to IEC 62443 within Rockwell Automation. What should the manufacturing leaders that listen to this show, or I should say, what else should the manufacturing leaders that listen to this show know about 62443 and what are things they should look out for? Well, they should look out for adherence to this uh, standard is is certified and it's certified by independent third parties, which is which is really important because there's some standards out there that you can self-certify to. And in this case, you can't. Um, the certification, you know, is required to be unbiased, and it really helps to measure an organization's maturity and the processes and the things that they develop, whether those are components or complete systems. You know, another thing to watch out for is that, you know, sometimes um, we'll hear words like compliant to um, or aligned with 62443 which is is not certified right it's not hasn't been uh, validated by an independent party so so those are a couple things that that i would look out for great points and i like you know knowing that it is not a self-certification process that this must be done 
through a third party if I heard that correctly. Um, and I'm glad you brought up some of those gotchas as well too, because whether it's manufacturing, automation, or any other industries, there are a lot of ways people can spin things to say, oh yeah, we kind of apply to this standard by, like you said, compliant to, aligned with. But um, So what's, what's the main thing someone needs to look for to know if something is IEC 62443 certified? Does it say that specifically or is it phrased differently? No, that's exactly what it says. There are multiple parts to 62443 that you can be certified to. And so you look at you look at products um, or you look at companies and their maturity and how they develop the products or their solutions. And you look for that certificate to show uh, from one of the leading certifying bodies that um, that they have achieved it. Perfect. I guess with, you know, this is it correct to say that this is a relatively new standard, all things considered? Yes, it, it actually is. It's it's uh, it, as all standards are. It's been in development for many, many, many years, and we've been on many of the boards um, so long that it's now there are pieces that are starting to be um, to be reviewed and and updated. Um, the the interesting thing about this is that this was developed by the ISA ninety nine committee, and you know they looked at. I mean, there's there are standards out there for IT security, and and they did look at those. And they realized that, and, and again, this is this is consensus based. So there are people here from all different uh, areas of industrial automation, from all different companies, and they realized that the IT standards that exist today um, just aren't enough to ensure safety and integrity and things of control systems. And and part of it is because the consequences are different. A cyber attack on ICS is fundamentally different than an IT uh, a cyber attack on IT, and it's because the consequences are different. Uh, cyber attacks on IT are not always, but often financial and privacy related and things like that. For ICS, the consequences are very different. I mean, it can mean loss of life, loss of health, um, environmental damage, or the loss of integrity of, of whatever it is that's being produced. And uh, if that's pharmaceuticals or food or something, there's some pretty big implications there. The requirements and the, the goals of on the OT side where the ICS sits are different than IT because um, because in the OT side, um, you know, availability is is critical, right? We want to keep the plant up, we want to keep the production line rolling. Whereas in the IT side, it may be confidentiality. So so those are so it has been in in progress for a while. That the group did um, did a lot of research and a lot of work. And you know, in my experience in it, when you look in the requirements in 62443 in any area of it, it's all straightforward, good best practices in how to develop products or solutions and how to do them with security built in from the get-go. They did a really nice job of, of making sure that it was practical. Yeah, and one and you kind of took the words right out of my mouth a little bit. One thing that was on my mind, it's like, you know, there are already a lot of IT standards out there. So I was curious, why does a new one need to exist? And you articulated it really well by talking about how the consequences have changed. You know, the world we're in now is different than it was five to 10 years ago. And like you said, ICS critical, you know, ICS is different than just IT. You know, I guess one one question that's on my mind for people that like the manufacturing leaders that are listening to this might have in their minds is, I assume a manufacturer might be wondering, am I critical infrastructure? Is there, can you, can you give like, like a couple more specific examples of what a critical infrastructure 
company might look like. And I know it sounds like there are different categories to this, but just for beyond some of the initial examples we gave to paint the picture for the manufacturing leaders out there. Sure, absolutely. Um, so I will say that when uh, when I started into Homeland Security back in 2005 timeframe, there were 18 critical infrastructure sectors defined by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Uh, they have consolidated some of those sectors now to where I believe there are 16 critical infrastructure uh, sectors. And again, I'm I'm going to go back and kind of tell a story with this uh, in hopes that it resonates uh, because it's really the the way that we identify and model the critical infrastructures is what matters. And so if you look at kind of a capacity based system of identifying critical infrastructures, we may get into a conversation around, well, this bridge connects um, these two islands and it's two miles long. It's one of the longest bridges in the world. Then we may say, Great. In the old way of viewing things, we would absolutely say, all right, you're, uh, you've gone over one mile, then you're automatically on the list, you're critical infrastructure, and you know, we're concerned with, with tracking um, your operational health. Then um, around 2006, 2007 timeframe, Department of Homeland Security changed the way that it was looking and identifying critical infrastructures in the private sector from a capacity based metric system that we just gave an example of with the length of a bridge to, uh, again, the com uh, the consequence or the impact-based system where, hey, you know what, maybe a bridge is only uh, 100 yards long, but that is the only bridge in and out of a nuclear power plant, then that bridge just became critical infrastructure, if that makes sense. And so, again, when we try to identify critical infrastructures and Localities have um, assets that are critical to them. States have assets that are critical for the functioning of, um, of processes within that particular geographic region. And then as a country, we have infrastructures that are critical for the nation as a whole. And so think of it kind of in that tiered model, but it's very much based against what are you producing? What's the criticality? What service or products are you providing that are unique or they're provided at such a scale that other infrastructures are not at the same level, or you're again providing a particular component that another asset owner may not be able to provide. So so those that's a that's an awesome example. I think the bridge example is really easy for someone to visualize where it's not like anything over one mile. It's like, well, where does that bridge go at the end of the day? Exactly. Uh, yes. From I guess one thing that comes into my mind as someone that has served industries like medical device in the past and utilities and oil and gas, is it right to say then that not every, let's say, pharmaceutical manufacturer or not every, uh, you know, utility could would be considered a critical uh, a critical infrastructure or would they just be somewhere else on that spectrum? That's this is just for some of my clarity that I think some of our listeners might be looking for as well. I think the spectrum viewpoint is appropriate, kind of going back to, well, maybe you're not an infrastructure of national significance or worldwide significance, but maybe you are a valuable infrastructure at the state or local level. And I, I will throw this in and that um, if ever folks are interested in kind of figuring out, well, where do I fall on that spectrum of criticality? 
Um, within every state, uh, within the United States, there are um, folks called protective security advisors, PSAs, and they are assigned and they work for Department of Homeland Security. And I know that there's at least one PSA covering every state. Some states have multiple PSAs, depending on the population density and size and all of that jazz. But um, you can absolutely um, reach out to your local emergency operations center or state emergency operations center, and they can most certainly connect you in with whomever your PSA is. And they're the right type of people just to sit down and have a cup of coffee and begin a conversation around this is what my asset is. This is generally what we think our threat profiles are, the products and services that we produce. And we'd like to understand more about our risk posture and what Department of Homeland Security may be seeing in terms of threats against that particular critical infrastructure sector. And here at Rockwell Automation, we're very much plugged into Department of Homeland Security as well as other worldwide um, intelligence and law enforcement organizations. We're queued in, we support um, both companies and the countries that they reside within. Since we're a global company, we have that mindset of cooperation, but we can also um, help facilitate those calls if any of our customers or any stakeholders in the community uh, have those questions. That's all kind of free and public knowledge that we can help navigate with them. This is a really, interesting topic i didn't i didn't necessarily expect to get into particularly that I, I think what i find most interesting and practical about it is that it's not just like a black and white spectrum um it's something where like you said sit down with your protective security advisor psa and grab a cup of coffee and, and learn more about it is that is that a correct summary yeah i i think so uh, certainly for folks based in the u.s and if you're not in the u.s there um there are similar counterparts worldwide that we work with as well excellent excellent point that this this is what we're talking this is for a lot of our listeners who are in north america but not all of them are based here in in the u.s um great great additional point you know i'm going to bring this back to the standard really quickly as we get towards the end of the conversation what value does having an IACS specific standard bring to asset owners? You know, you talked about this not being black and white. And one of the values that this brings is that it helps to provide terminology for an asset owner uh, to know what to ask for um, or how to ask for it or how much to ask for. In the 62443 standard, there are, you know, different security levels. So, so different levels of protection based on different risk levels. Um, and so it's not black and white. Um, there are so many different things that you can do. So, so it's that common terminology, um, common vocabulary. So we're all talking the same terms, all using the same words. And it allows for real consistent communication of requirements. And, you know, the other thing um, that I would say, too, is that, is that, you know, having a standard like this, uh, it really levels the playing field, right? Because all the vendors, uh, like Rockwall as a as a product vendor, I mean, we're being compared to a standard as well as or, or certified to a standard as well as as other IACS uh, vendors. And so it really forces us, forces all of us, and forces the whole industry to kind of up our game and uh, to the same level. And and we can be measured to it, um, whereas before the measurement was perhaps you know how good is your commercial material. 
it's it's been an interesting theme of this mini series so far hearing about how there's a real communal element to a lot of the things that we're doing in terms of uh you know we were talking about defense in depth and like the NIST framework the different organizations that come together to set cybersecurity standards and in this you know Shoshana where you're talking about providing terminology and having that consistent communication I love how this is not just a single company effort but a team sport if I'm hearing things right as uh, as we wrap up I've got one one final question for both of you you know as since we have a lot of manufacturing leaders out there that are listening to the show some that might be more or less familiar th- with some of these standards right now is there anything you wish I would have asked you and on top of that what would be the actions you'd recommend for the leaders out there that are tuned in to this show Megan we'll start with you on this one Sure so I I think it would involve how practically can an owner and operator utilize the 62443 body of standards? And in my mind, a very practical application would be from sourcing, right? If you um, if you need to kind of restock your, your products and you need to understand um, which products may be coming up for end of life or end of support, and so you're kind of making your shopping list for what what you may be looking at uh, to bring your company into the future when it comes to securing PLCs and and your your environment, I would say look to the standards to pull out good sourcing language because in theory, you would want to be um, seeing vendors uh, come to you with a 4-1 certification saying, hey, we we stick to our game, we make secure products, the, this is the standard that we follow to ensure quality and security as well as safety are baked into the product from the get-go uh, through 4-1. 4-2, which is I'm, I am offering you a catalog of products that are certified against an international standard to be made with security in mind and have security features there within, as well as 3-3, which is an entire new system where you're saying this wing-to-wing system, uh, kind of edge to cloud, is certified to the 3-3 standard. So I'd say in the plainest language, 62443 is going to ensure that what folks are telling you is really what they're proving to you that they can do and that you're buying exactly what you think you're buying and nothing more and nothing less. So unlike one of my other comments, this takes this makes it pretty darn black or white at the end of the day in terms of whether it complies or does not comply. Yeah, I, I'd add on to that to say that, you know, in cybersecurity, we hear a lot about about security features and we hear about, you know, switches and firewalls and we hear about, you know, authentication. We, we hear about security features and, and functionality, which is critical and important. Um, one of the things that 62443 has is it talks about the how do you develop these things? Are you using good best practices in the industry when you design your products or when you design your system? So it's it, in addition to the features and functions that your product or your system may have, um, the how you've done it. Um, have you done a thorough job? Have you thought about all of the threats? Have you thought, you know, are all the way down to simple, are you using good coding practices to make sure that you're not, in, you know, in, you're not, there's not vulnerabilities being introduced into the product. And so, um, and so that that's an area of, of what we do and an area of 62443 that I like to focus on and, and, and have people have a takeaway on because, 
because it is an aspect that doesn't get a lot of uh, airtime. It doesn't it doesn't have a lot of you know glitz and glamour to it, but it's as critically important as the features and functions that um, that uh, that that you see every day and that you see products on every day. I mean, a big part of our industry is there. You got to look at the details sometimes, even if it's not like you said, the glamorous feature and function that jumps out at you. You're looking at the how it's been done, coding practices. Uh, great closing points to to wrap this up. Shoshana and Megan, I appreciate you jumping on the show today to to help take us home on our cybersecurity mini-series. Um, to all the manufacturing all-stars that are out there listening to this show, for any of the resources we've talked about during this mini-series, you can access links to all of those at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash cyber security, as well as ways to connect with Megan and Shoshana over LinkedIn. With that, thank you so much for being on the show. Cheers. Hey, thanks for listening and congratulations, I hope, on making it through all four episodes in our Rockwell Cybersecurity mini-series. We covered a lot of ground. We covered a lot of detail. So if you want to revisit anything, make sure to head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash cybersecurity to access everything we discussed throughout all of these interviews. I assume if you've made it this far that you are a cybersecurity junkie or professional in some way, shape, or form. But if you know any other folks, say an IT director or your company or your friend in your network that happens to be a chief information security officer, consider forwarding this episode on to them. You can either link them up to the show on their listening platform of choice, or you can just send them that link at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash cybersecurity to make it super easy for them to get to everything. Speaking of links and calls to action, if you did enjoy this episode and this series, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. Those five-star ratings are pretty easy, but if you really want to go that extra mile, you can leave a review that's as short as one sentence long, does not need to be that detailed, over on that platform. Again, that's at Apple Podcasts, which you can get to by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. Would love to hear what you thought about this miniseries, and if you think we should cover more topics like this in a miniseries format in the future. I should give one final disclaimer that during my daytime hours, I am an employee of Rockwell Automation, whom was featured throughout this series, but Manufacturing Happy Hour is not officially affiliated with Rockwell Automation. I just think they do excellent stuff for the manufacturing industry. And with that, that's a wrap. There is more cybersecurity coming your way. In fact, one of our next full-length interviews is with Galena Antova, who is one of the co-founders of Clarity, who specializes in OT cybersecurity. Heard you loud and clear that you want more of these topics, so we're bringing that to you really soon. In the meantime, though, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you back here on Manufacturing Happy Hour real soon. See ya. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.